And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Sandy Toronto. Sandy had a near-death experience where she encountered a mystical being and she was taken into the divine presence of God. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. My audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. So if you don't mind, um, can we start with your most impactful ones? I think I'm going to skip around just a little bit, if that's all right with you. Sure. I believe that the first one that's the most important one to me in some ways is actually the one where I had an out-of-body experience. I was being abused at the time, and I left my body. We were at the hospital. The doctor had hooked me up to various machines. One of them was an EEG. The little bars, they poke up your nose. That That's lovely. And the, the heart monitor. Both of them had flatlined. I stepped out of my body. And I lived with foster parents at the time. My foster parents and the doctor were arguing. And he said, I'm not going to argue with you here. And he led them off down they went through down a long hall through a set of double doors they turned a corner they went through another set of double doors they went down another long hallway they went into an office they closed the door there was a being uh, i'll call it a being of light with me and the being said to me listen to what they say and remember it I listened to them arguing, and after a few moments, the being who was with me said, let's go. And this was the point at which there was just a transition. I I didn't have a tunnel experience. I didn't move through anything. It just sort of shifted. There was a, a feeling of transition. And just the merest concept of maybe a tunnel, the tunnel wasn't important. We were just there. It it was almost at the speed of thought, slightly slower. We were in out there. We were in space. We were in the cosmos. It was incredible. I had 360-degree vision up and down, sideways, everywhere. I did. I wasn't. I didn't have the blinders of just straightforward vision, and I didn't have just this plane. It was up and down, and, and just all around in every. I could see everything everywhere, and I could zoom my vision in if I wanted to see something that was technically far away. You would think of it on the horizon. I could see it as clearly as if it were directly in front of me. I could look into things. I could see a tiny little molecule floating right in front of me, and I could see into it, down into every little detail and all the 
the splendid majesty of that one tiny little floating speck. The entire universe was there. I could zoom out, maybe trying to use words that can make it make sense a little bit. I could see everything all at the same time. The entire, my, my, Awareness and my vision and my understanding expanded and contracted as I chose. It wasn't, I didn't even think about it. If I wanted to see, oh, I want to see it all. Whoosh. Oh no, what is this little thing? Whoosh. In the colors, there were other colors. We don't see all of the colors. Our minds are limited or our, our our eyes are part of our brain and they limit what colors we can see. I didn't have that limitation. Something important is it wasn't psychedelic colors. It, it was just other colors as normal as I'm looking at my room or anything else. It was, that was normal. It wasn't overly vibrant. Was it vibrant? Yes, but it wasn't enhanced in an unnatural way. That, it was natural. My hearing was incredible. I talk about hearing music. A better way for me to say it is everything was music. The sounds that the suns made, the sounds that the planets made. It was rhythmic. And even when it wasn't rhythmic, it was just Beautiful, unspeakably beautiful. I, I don't even know how to express the, the, the splendor of the sound that I was immersed in. And what synesthesia in a way, I could see sound. I could see and understand how the sound waves moved along physical objects that I don't even, obviously I don't know how to explain it or express it the sound was phenomenal the sound was incredible the smell but in a very different way I understood every molecule around me and and how it would taste and how it would feel and I could look at something and I would know Oh, how does it taste? How does it feel? What does it sound like? What what is what is this thing? The being that was with me took me all throughout this cosmic area. I guess is is the best way to. I I saw a nebula. I saw planets. I played in lava. I was able to just play in the lava. It was joyful. I was so joyful. Everything was just wonderful and perfect. I didn't get to stay there forever. It felt like forever. And since there's no time over there, I would say it was forever. But there did come a point where Let's go and 
you have another, I guess you call it an appointment. You have an appointment. It's, it's time to go. And that was when I was taken into the presence of the higher power. And I don't like to call it God because I feel like there's a lot of bridge around that word. A lot of people try to, to fit this being into different little shoehorns. And that incredible intelligence and loving and, and vast at the same time that it's vast it's so personal and I felt in intense love and I felt intensely loved I felt the gratitude of this being towards humans were we are so much more than we have any idea of. And immense intelligence, love was, I was in it. I was surrounded by it. I was part of it. I was me in every way. And I was so wrapped up in and engulfed in this magic, this just, Has, love has weight over there. It's like a physical feeling presence and it's instant and immense and it was just a place of light. The the light was every color and no color and in the way that light is, and it was filled with the presence of that higher being and, and its awareness, and it was aware of me, and it was embracing me on a personal level, even though I knew it was embracing everything on a personal level. I've never been able to accept the idea of an impersonal God because it was personal. It was there with me and I could feel the full weight of its love and attention beyond the ability to even articulate. Because my childhood during that time was so incredibly stark. It was an enormous difference from what I was used to. And I believe that I was given that time to help me survive what I was going through. I wanted to stay there, but I knew that I wouldn't. It's different than, you know, some people say... I had to go back or I, I didn't have to go back, but I knew I would. I just, I knew I would. And as it took me back to my body, the other, the light being, I, I call it my attendant. As my attendant took me back to my body, I stopped and I said, I don't, I don't want to go. 
that I know. And we weren't talking the way I'm talking now. It was telepathy. I just knew what it, I knew what it was saying and I knew it was coming from it and not from me. I just, you just know where the thoughts are coming from. The thoughts are there and there's instant communication. And I said, I know. I said, I'm going to suffer a lot. I said, yes. And it said, you don't have to go. You will be equally loved. And no one thought you would get this far. So even though you have a lot more scheduled, it's okay. You don't have to go back and you won't be any less loved or accepted if you stay. I wanted to stay. So I said, I'll go back. And I just felt its pride and, and love. And I went back. You said that you had stuff scheduled. Does that mean that you already planned out this life? That's in a manner of speaking. Let's say, for example, you're going to take a trip from New Hampshire, where I live, (laughs) California. You know that you're going to California. Let's say San Diego. I was born in San Diego. We'll use that. You know that you're going from New Hampshire to San Diego. What you do along the way, you might stop and see Niagara Falls, or you might go the other way and stop in Texas. There's a, there are certain destinations along the way that we come together and agree on with the people who are going to be in that experience together with us. So for example, if I'm going to have birth, you know, if I'm going to give birth, I'm going to have a child, the child and myself and the father, we're all planning that experience together. And if I step out, someone else will reroute and step in if it's acceptable in their plans together with the other souls that they're in this world with. So yes, but not completely. The way that I was given to understand it is that we do come here with a loose plan at night when we're sleeping and we're in deep sleep and we're not aware we're all gathered together and we are planning And so it shifts, but usually with primary factors being the main thing. For example, if I need to eat fish and get sick from it and go to the hospital, then I will eat fish and get sick and go to the hospital. If it doesn't matter what I eat, I might eat fish, I might eat chicken, whatever. It's not as cut and dried as... Do you have this overall life plan set out from the very beginning? Yes and no. (laughs) There is free will within the framework. 
you do come with specific milestones, I guess would be the word for it. And we try to meet those milestones. And if, and I, I use the word fail because I, I don't really have another word for it. You know, maybe if we tap out or in some way we're not able to make that, there's always someone who can shift into that space. However, when you agree to do something, for example, if, if I agree to have my daughter, like, you know, I'm going to come here and, and give birth to a child. You're the best person for that experience. And it's, there's a shift that has to take place if you don't decide to complete that experience. Well, during this experience, were you made aware of your future plans? Only a few. And the, the very few that were specific to me have already uh, come to pass except for one. Um, it was just very three things. <laughs> um. I was shown a few things about the world. Unfortunately, several of them we're not going to be here for. So it doesn't, if I tell you, there's no way for you to verify it's some 300 or so years in the future. Maybe you can tell us and someone 300 years in the future will see this podcast and say, hey, there it was. Uh, well, it's just we're entering an ice age and it's a normal phenomenon. We are very upset and distraught. You know, oh, the weather's going, whatever. Uh, basically, the solar system will heat up first, and then the sun will go into a period of low activity and will enter the Earth. The whole solar system will enter a, a cold stage, which will give us an ice age, another ice age. Humans will survive. The other thing is in our life or in my lifetime, something that I should see in my lifetime is there will be more, those I will call them secular centers. They're centers for charity and it will be young people who will be creating these centers where it's similar to a church there will be lectures and talks, but there will also be charity, like a support system. People who can come in there, uh, one example, it might be someone who has been kicked out of their home and has nowhere to go. And they're a child still. It happens pretty often. So they're a child still. Technically now, they have no guardian they have no home, and many of them don't know what to do. They try to live with friends. They drop out of high school because what are they going to do? They can't go because their guardians aren't taking them. These centers will be helping people like that. They will be very transparent with 
their donations. When people give them donations, they'll be able to say, I want this to go to feed hungry children. I want it to go to house the homeless. I want it to go to this, to that, to that. And all of the financial information will be absolutely transparent. People will be able to walk in and look at an app. And it's really amusing to me now because I didn't understand I actually was shown people standing in this room and they were doing this on the wall and looking at numbers on the wall. Mm. I was like, this was 1977, you know, 77, 76, whenever. So this was the seventies. We didn't have computer monitors that you were touching and scrolling on, looking at the wall and going, for me, it was very bizarre. Like, I don't know what these people are doing, but that's cool. I knew that they were looking at financial information, and that was because this facility that we were in was transparent with its financial information. That was as much as I understood about what they were doing with their fingers on the wall. And I knew that I wouldn't remember when I came back the the rest of the concept, if that makes any sense. I did, I do know that I understood at the time what computers were and what they were doing and how the computer worked. Like I understood everything about how the computer worked. I understood microchips, like all of it, but I knew I wouldn't remember that. Kind of a spoiler alert. (laughs) So I didn't get to retain that. What I retain is people just standing there on the wall and and flipping through numbers that were scrolling along the wall. And it's very amusing to me now to have that memory that I've had my whole life that never made any sense. What are these people doing to the wall? And why are there numbers moving on the wall? It wasn't, you know, it had the screen around it. Later it was, I guess they're on the TV, but you can't do that on a TV either. Now you can, now you can do it on a laptop and that's what they were doing. They were doing a, a touch laptop and they were looking at the, it was, mounted on the wall and they were scrolling through the financial information. And that is a massive, um, if you want to call it evolutionary step or advancement in enlightenment or whatever. These transparent financial centers of charity they create homing house housing for the homeless. <laughs> I had a hard time spitting that out. Mm. They produce housing for the homeless. They take in teens who have been kicked out of their home for whatever reason. They help people apply for financial aid, for services from colleges, just incredible amounts of, of service come from these secular centers 
and it will be young people. They will be started by teens who will say, we want one of these in our town. And they will have adults saying, well, we'll help, but you got to make it happen because we're not very interested in this. I I can't wait to see them because for now, most charities are connected to churches, which is wonderful. It's wonderful that churches do charity. However, the concept of these secular or, or non-denominational, non-connected places is that ability to be absolutely financially transparent and that everyone of every belief will be able to go there. If you're a Muslim, you go there and you won't feel like, oh, you know, they could try to change what I believe or, or I, I don't know what's going to happen there. It's going to be a hundred percent. Here you are. If you need help, we are here. Done and done. And that's across the board. It is its own step forward. It's its own step up into the next age of of us as human beings. And that's going to create a lot of ripples out into society that's going to change a lot of very entrenched Systems. For example, the very entrenched medical system is going to be altered by this. The political system is going to be altered by this. The religious systems are going to be altered by this. All in positive ways. Of course, there's going to be people who are not going to like change, period. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. If it's not the same, I don't like it. But for society as a whole these centers are going to be very powerful and it will be young people in concert with adults saying kids, you got to make this happen. And the kids are going to say, what we want is we want a place where everybody's accepted. We want a place where everybody gets help. We want a place where everybody feels safe. We want a place where No matter who you are, if you come in here and you need mental health assistance, you need food, it's going to be available 24 hours a day. The building that I was in when I was shown this was massive. It was as big as an airport. These are not going to be small little buildings. These... Some of them are going to be small little buildings. That's how it's probably going to start out. From what I remember, it starts small, and then it just becomes this progressively growing charity organization. But it's no nobody owns this. No, you know, the Catholic Church doesn't own it. The, the Hindus don't own it. Nobody owns this. This is a public facility and if somebody's mismanaging money for example 
it's going to show up in those financial evidences that will be available all the time. Did you see this happening in your lifetime? I see this happening. They showed it happening in my lifetime. Hmm. Yes. I think those will be great. I I can't wait. I hope that's an accurate. The other things that were shown to me were accurate. So how exciting that is to, mm-hmm. to think of seeing that happen. It's just amazing. When you were connecting, and I'll just use the word God, but when you were connecting with God, I kind of got the sense that God was thankful for you, for your experience. Am I right about that? And is that maybe like you're helping God or you're giving to God your experience? Yes. And in fact, that's a human thing. It's not a me thing. It's a human thing. That in another one of my NDEs, the higher power actually gave me information. And I, I don't know of a better word than it was just a massive download of vast amounts of information that were not intended to be delved into in that moment. They were for when I got here, like I understood and, you know, I grasped all of it instantly, but it wasn't intended for that experience. It was intended for this experience. In that download of information, in another one of my NDEs, and and I have a number of them, so I'm not going to talk as much about that one in this podcast, but in that NDE, I asked the question to my attendant. I said, you know, actually it asked me, it said, what question are you wanting an answer to, but not asking me? And a part of me was still that five or so years old child. And I just had that plaintive, why? Why? I had suffered so much and I was in constant pain all the time. And there are probably a million questions I should have asked, but a little suffering girl inside of me just said, why? Why am I hurting? Why am I scared? Why am I alone? And the answer was that we experience everything that a completely loving, perfectly loving, absolutely unlimited being cannot experience. If God is unlimited, that's a limitation. God is limited to being unlimited. If God is the absolute personification of love, then God is limited to being love. And love cannot know or experience or understand evil, sorrow, pain, indignity, suffering. It cannot experience that. 
And so souls, we humans and other souls chose to come into being from within God. And I've said in the past, you know, God created us, but that's not accurate. We arise. We decide to be. Depending for a second, my, my soul's name is Sandy. Sandy decides I, I exist. And I am going to go and I'm going to have experiences that I could not have when I was only the higher power. If you've ever seen, and, and if you haven't, please look it up, the Mandelbrot set. If you look it up on YouTube, the Mandelbrot is a graphic image. And inside that graphic image, if you zoom in on it, you find the same image again. And if you zoom in again, you find the same image again. And no matter how deeply you zoom in, you keep finding the same image over and over and over again within other bits and pieces of the larger image. And that, to me, is the most perfect representation of how every single one of us is a part of God, and yet we're an individual. I am you know, one image, and yet I am the totality, but I'm not. You can't articulate this. You can't, you know, you might be swimming in the ocean. You're not swimming in the whole ocean, but you are swimming in the whole ocean. The same idea that, that, I arose out of God. You arose out of God. You decided to be a soul that is separate and yet part. We chose collectively to experience all that that God cannot. Everything that exists, we love it from a soul level. I'm not so good at that on the earth level. Not so good at that. There's some people I don't like. But on a soul level, we love everything. And if you were to ask me, for example, here's your beautiful daughter. Yeah. God cannot experience what you experienced. Your daughter will cease to exist. Would you do this all over again so that your daughter could exist? And my answer is yes, as, as immensely, incredibly difficult as my life has been. And it has been extraordinarily hard. I would do it again because I love my daughter. And from that standpoint, when you're over there, there is this tiny little place called Earth. 
it's not even a speck in the totality of all the universes. And yet here and on just a few other worlds, we are experiencing immense, extraordinary suffering and struggle and difficulty and everything that else that exists, everything in the universe, everything in all of the universes exists because we come here and we do this and we do it because we love everything. So think about it this way. God creates everything. And it says, I love this. I love this. This is wonderful. Beautiful. But it cannot exist if I don't exist. And that is when we arose within that being and became separate from it to experience what oneness cannot. Oneness cannot experience separation. Love cannot experience hate. Joy cannot experience grief. We, as as souls, loved everything that God made. So much that we said, yes, I will go and I will suffer and I will experience it as real. Because God can't just, oh, I'll just imagine suffering and that'll be good enough. It has to experience it as real. And I'm not going to pretend for even one second. This sure feels real to me. It feels very real to me. And that, to all of us, there are some who get it. I'm not one of them. I don't, I, I've had NDEs, and I'm still not one of them that really gets <laughs> that this is not real. I'm hurting, and it feels awfully darn real. <laughs> and I don't love this concept. Do I think it's true? Yes, I think that is the reality of why Earth exists, and that is the reality of why we're here. People often ask me questions about it, and I just have to be honest and say, I can't really defend it because I don't, like, I'm kind of not okay with it. I'm I'm angry at my soul. I feel like you, my soul got to decide the difficulty level that I was going to play this game in. And it was like, hey, I don't like hardcore mode. Let's ramp it up a little. And I'm angry about that. I feel like I'm the one who has to suffer, but my soul made the decision. And intellectually, I understand I am my soul. My soul is me. I it, When I'm hurting, I don't. That doesn't follow for me. And I, I get angry. Like, 
you got some nerve on you. (laughs) It's difficult for me to be okay with it unless, as I said, I, I look at it and I think about it. Would I do this so that my daughter could exist? Because I love my daughter so, so much. I love her more than I love anything else in this world, I think. And I can't wait to see her go to the prom. I can't wait to see her get married if that's what she wants. There's so much about this world that I want for her to experience and to see and to do and to she wants to see the pyramids. I want her to see the pyramids. I want to see the joy that she can find in this world, in the middle of all of this. I want her to experience the joy, and, and I love her very, very much. And if I had to go through it all over again, okay, Sandy, your daughter Kira is not going to exist unless you do it all again. I hate you. <laughs> But okay. <laughs> but I do know that even as this person here, I would do it. I would say yes because of love. So I can't be too angry at my soul, I guess. <laughs> I am. But I suppose I during one i'm sorry go ahead it's a very difficult paradigm to explain that's all i was gonna say (laughs) during one of your ndes you encountered aliens can you tell us about that yes in fact uh, that was the the download i call it the download nde that was what my attendant took me to to show me the beauty of life in in the world. The first world that it took me to, we appeared right at the bottom of these waving fronds, you know, beautiful, almost looked like trees. They were, but but big, one big broad leaf that went up into and that, into the air. I thought it was the air for, for just a moment. And I realized it was water. I was in the water and these red and green and gold veined plants were rising, towering up above me. And there were, I guess, mer people living in them. They were very similar to humans, but but very elongated. And curiously, they always show mermaids, you know, their tails are, are this way. Their tails were this way. And I thought that was interesting. Years later, when I saw mermaids, I thought, well, their tail's not right. These beings did not see me. I just watched them. They were not aware of my presence. We didn't interact with them. I just watched. They lived on a world almost entirely water. It had a core, but the surface of it was water. 
and they had their existence in the water and they had never known anything else. The very idea to them of living on land would have been utterly unthinkable. Not even a concept of it. They were beautiful. They were just incredibly beautiful. And again, it's important to understand that I had that enhanced vision and I could see all of the colors and their scales and all of the colors in the water as it moved around. And it was phenomenally beautiful. My attendant let me watch for a while as they went about their life and, and they had structures. They had what we'd call technology. My attendant took me down deeper into the water area. And here there were caves that were formed out of symbiotic world. I mean, we don't have a word for the kind of creatures these were, but there were caves. And inside these caves were, were creatures, much like dolphins, somewhat similar. Their visual aspect was, was different, but they were ecstatic. They could see us, and they were ecstatic to see me there. And they... It swirled in the water around me and like puppies, like you're like a, a happy puppies. They were just overjoyed and and they led me through the these caverns and and they you know, with this direct kind of telepathy explained, you know, this is where we live and and look at these beautiful beings who are supporting us and these over here make oxygen and this one sometimes it it sends off stuff into the water that these ones over here eat and they were explaining and describing their whole existence to me and it was incredible they were just they were living their lives happily Total peace and harmony with their world and with every other thing on their world. They even were sending out calls to another, they call dolphins pods. So, you know, having no better language for it, they, to another pod of, of their kind, who also came and, and it, it was just a huge, excited gathering of them. And, and finally, when it was time to go, my attendant stopped me and, and said, you know, it's respectful to say goodbye before we go. And didn't use the word goodbye, but, but to, to, to take our leave. And so I, I bowed to these creatures and they said, we have done our part, we have eased your grief, and we have shown you hospitality and joy, and we ask and return your blessing. So I gave them my blessing, and my attendant gave 
of his its blessing, his blessing. And we moved on. We went we went to another place. At the time it didn't seem odd to me that they wanted a blessing from me. And I don't have a better word for it, but it was more like a gift of energy, a gift of, you know, from from a soul level, it was a package of energy, a package of, of wisdom and knowledge. And when I left, I knew that these beings, in part because of their interaction with me, because they had done a service, they would be elevated and become more advanced, like the first beings that I saw. It was such a profound and beautiful experience. I feel like a lot of times when people describe their NDEs, they don't give enough, you know, oh, I saw other planets. It's amazing and awesome, but I feel like people want to know what that meant. And, and in this space with these beings, it meant such an extraordinary connection another thing that I learned from that experience but also interestingly enough from planets and suns and and celestial bodies who also have souls that the primary tool that we have for lack of a better word, is love. Like love is, is you, you need to give love, receive love. Love is the divine. It, it's that spark of divine and it reconnects us with God, the, the divine, the, the, the higher power. But the highest virtue is not love. Love is not a virtue. It's it's a thing. It's it's a tool. It's an experience. But it's not a virtue. The highest virtue is respect. So when I was surfing on lava on the planet that was it was a developing planet, be billions of years before it sees its first sign of life was a molten lava planet and as I was surfing on it I instinctively asked before like I wanted to make a geyser I wanted to make a lava geyser I was a child playing and I wanted to make a lava geyser but I asked it before I did because I inherently understood that that would be a significant disruption to its process. It it allowed me and actually was very open to, Hey, play all you want. That helps me develop. I welcome you doing that. And that was respect though. And the, the biggest thing with respect is You've heard of the golden rule. Everybody's heard of the golden rule. But there's something they call the platinum rule, which is do unto others 
as they would have done unto them. As long as it doesn't harm you or anyone else. If somebody wants to be called he or she or they, it doesn't harm you. And that's respect. The respect, you know, well, if I were, you know, if I were doing something wrong, I would want somebody to tell me. If, you know, if somebody thought that what I was doing was immoral, I would want them to tell me. So that's why the highest virtue is respect. You might want somebody to tell you, but that might not be what they want. Rather than I'm going to do to you what I want done to me, hey, what do you want me to do? That is the highest respect, and that is the highest virtue. And over there, it's automatic. Everyone does it. And of course, communication is instantaneous. So we immediately know I should ask. If I want to play with your lava, (laughs) I should ask. (laughs) Here, not so much. (laughs) I think if, if people take any one thing out of my experiences, I would want it to be respect is the highest virtue. Love is the greatest gift. It's, it's the greatest thing you can give. It's a tool that you can use. It can help you navigate respect, but respect is, is the virtue. Like, Love is kind of a different thing. It's not really a virtue. It's it's an action, a decision, a feeling, you know, all of these things. But respect is the actual virtue that expresses love the best. I'm going to switch gears on you here, Sandy, because I'm running out of time. But you did say that if people want to find out more about your experiences, it is on a website and they can read all about that. Is that correct? Yes. And that's free to go and read. Correct. All right. I'll put a link to that. It's not my website. (laughs) It's not yours, but I'll put a link to that in the description below. That would be great. All right. Well, before we finish it up here, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everybody? When you give love, love flows through you. Love is never wasted. Because if you have given someone love and it feels like it was wasted because it wasn't returned, remember that to get out of you, it had to come through you. So love is indeed never wasted. No matter how it might feel, whatever the outcome of what you attempted to do out of love, it's never wasted. That's a great message. Sandy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your good questions. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, you have a wonderful evening and I hope to see you back soon. You too. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. All right. Good night. Good night. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.